Well, we're in a, in a message of evening that we're talking about Christmas wonder. And the last set of videos and song actually remind us that most of that Christmas wonder is about home and what makes home home are the people that are there. It's not the decorations, even though they're really cool. And it's not the food, even though that's really great. It really is the people. But you ever notice there's an upside and a downside to the people? Um, how many of you will celebrate Christmas tonight or tomorrow? You can put your hand up very shyly if you want. With at least one difficult person. Raise your hand. Yeah. Now, now here's an interesting thing. Most of us think that we have some difficult people as the cast of characters around our table or around our Christmas tree. But that first Christmas, they must not have had any difficult people at all there. After all, when you look at the manger scene, it's nothing but tranquility, right? All is calm, all is bright. Little plastic faces with smiles and everybody's happy. That's not how it works at my house, maybe not at your house either. But what I want to do tonight is to shine a little reality onto that misconception that we often have. We're going to answer two questions. We're going to answer the who question and the why question. Who was there? And you're going to discover that the cast of characters around your Christmas table and around your Christmas tree, that cast of characters is very similar to the cast of characters at the first Christmas. And God gives Christmas to that crazy cast of characters that includes people like us. Well, the first uh, who that we're going to talk about are dissatisfied people. Do you have any dissatisfied people that you're going to hang out with? Yeah, people that you can't please. Do you know these folks? You didn't make the right thing to eat. That Even the dessert's no good. You buy them a gift, they're dissatisfied with the gift. They're dissatisfied with the response that you give to the gift that they bought you. I have a friend who's dissatisfied today. He's wanted a Porsche most of his life. True story. He told his attorney sometime during the year that he's always wanted a Porsche. And do you know, his attorney this year bought him a brand new, shiny Porsche book. <laughs> and so now on his desk is a coffee table book with hundreds of pictures of Porsches, and he still doesn't have one in the driveway. He's a dissatisfied guy. Some people are dissatisfied that have been at our services. This is our at fifth of our six uh, Christmas Eve services. And here's some comments. A lot of comments were been positive. Here's some comments that I heard. Charles, it was too dark in there. I couldn't see my feet when I was walking in. And when I was staying, I was afraid I was going to trip. Charles, you didn't sing my favorite Christmas song. Charles, my pretzel was, was hard. Charles, there wasn't enough salt on my pretzel. There was too much salt on my pretzel. And then you give me a kazoo. Charles, I don't like kazoos. I don't play kazoos. And then you give me the kazoo and tell me I'm not allowed to play it after the opening song. You know people like this? Are any of those people going to be at your Christmas? Dissatisfied people. But I got good news for you. There were dissatisfied people at the first Christmas too. Let me introduce you to two of them. Their names are Zechariah and Elizabeth. We learn about their story in Luke, and it goes something like this. Zechariah was a priest, and his wife's name was Elizabeth. And uh, they were, Zechariah worked in the temple. He had, you know, he was a clergy guy kind of working in the temple. And they tried really, really hard to please God. And they tried really, really hard to have a child. And they couldn't have a kid. Now, I know that some of you in the room may be struggling with infertility. And that's a serious deal. And some of you are dissatisfied and frustrated, maybe discouraged or angry about that. But I want to tell you, infertility in our world 
is nothing compared to infertility back in that world. Because there was no social security, no pensions. If you didn't have kids, you were not going to be cared for once you were unable to work. And so Zechariah and Elizabeth are in a situation where their future is not looking very bright. Oh yeah, not just that. Their present was nothing but ridicule. You see, they came from a really religious context. And people thought, if you couldn't have a kid, after all, God wants everybody you know, to have children, and if you can't have a kid, that must mean you did something wrong, and God's punishing you. And even though you may be able to hide that sin, that evil from other people, you can't hide it from God. Their present was ridicule. Their future was a question mark. They were really dissatisfied. Now, here's the point. Christmas is for dissatisfied people. You know, there's no one in this room that experiences complete satisfaction. Or if we do, it's very, it's very short-lived, right? A fleeting second, and then our satisfaction's gone. Christmas is for dissatisfied people. Elizabeth and Zechariah are invited to the first Christmas. In fact, if you read chronologically through the Christmas story, they're the first people you meet. And by the way, they become the parents of John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin. Merry Christmas, Zechariah and Elizabeth. Well, here's another group. Different people. And I don't mean different, just really different people. you have any different people that are going to be around your Christmas table? Just a little different, just a little different. Uh, what they think is funny, nobody else thinks is funny. Uh, a little different. They say things that are not only off-color, a little strange. They don't speak with maybe the same dialect. They don't like the same things. They have weird religious beliefs. They come from far away. Maybe they have, you know, kind of an accent or a different dialect. Just different kinds. Of, you know any of these people? Some of you are the different people of your, of your Christmas. Uh, they just don't seem to fit in, right? Everybody else fits like a hand and a glove. But the different people, it's hard to get the glove on, right? The glove doesn't fit. Um, it's kind of out of whack. Oh, do you know there were some different people at the first Christmas? The Bible calls them the Magi. We read about them in Matthew's Gospel. And we read this. Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. Now, they're not from around here, right? Either they spoke with a funny dialect, a different accent, or they didn't even speak the right language. They needed an interpreter. They had a, the wrong religion. They didn't believe the same stuff. Now, most of what we know about the Magi, we learned from the song, right? We three kings of Orient art. The song gets it wrong, wrong, and wrong. Sorry. First of all, we don't know that there were three. We suspect there may be three because there were three gifts. But I have a lot of friends that are really cheap. So maybe a whole bunch of the Magi pitched in and got one gift between them, right? And so maybe a little myrrh. Well, look, how about if four of us go in and we'll buy the myrrh together rather than one of us paying for all the myrrh? So we don't know how many there were. The song says three. We don't know how many there were. We know that they weren't kings. They were astrologers. You see the word magi? It's kind of like the beginning of magic. They were magicians. Not like David Blaine or Penn and Teller. They were astrologers. They made their living and gave their counsel based on looking into the sky and studying the stars. Remember, they followed the star all the way to Bethlehem. You realize it was illegal to be an astrologer in Israel. These guys show up. They not only have the wrong religion, they, they're practicing something that's out of bounds and illegal for what the Jews are doing. And we don't know that they were from the Orient we just know that they came from the east. 
And they show up, and they're looking for the baby. They don't even know enough about the Bible to know where the Messiah is going to be born. They show up at the Capitol and have to ask around where, where the kid's going to be born. Very different people. What's the point? God invites different people to Christmas. Some of you are different. You'll have different people around your table, around your Christmas tree. They're invited to Christmas. Just like the Magi, those really different guys that didn't quite fit, they get invited to Christmas. Whatever some other people that first Christmas that are really controlling. Do you have any controlling people that are going to be at your Christmas? Controlling people, they know how things should go. How everything should go, right? They know how it should go for them and how it should go for you. They know how it should go with your brother, your sister, your mother, your father. They know how it should go with the kids and the grandkids. They know what you should eat and how long it should take. How many calories are on the plate? How many should be on the plate? They want to control everything. And if they can't control it, they either get angry, they get discouraged, they get frustrated, they get ticked off. Any controlling people? Yeah, some of you are controlling people, right? And you're sitting there thinking, so what's wrong with that, Charles? I know how life should go. Well, there was one really controlling guy at that first Christmas. His name was Herod. And the verses about Herod surround the verses of the Magi, the different guys, and you'll see why in a minute. Matthew tells us that after Jesus was born in Judea, he was born during the time of King Herod. Herod the Great. Now, here's a little clue. If your relative's nickname is The Great, or he likes to be called the great, that, that's not a good sign. That probably means he's a controlling guy, she's a controlling woman, uh, and probably has an ego issue too. Herod the Great's the guy, and a really controlling guy. Let me give you a couple of examples. Herod had a number of wives, and he had a bunch of kids, lots of boy kids. He would often designate one of his sons as to be his successor, right? So here's son, yo, Bobby, you'll be king after I expire or after I get tired of leading. Well, inevitably, Bobby will do something that ticks off Herod. Herod not only writes Bobby out of the will, Herod has Bobby killed. He does that with, with a number of his sons. Eventually, none of the kids want to be king. Dad, really, I don't want to be king. I really don't want to be king. You, know what? you just keep it forever. Now, picture the scene. A really, really controlling guy. So controlling, so paranoid, he he moves into being an unsafe kind of person. And some of you know what Christmas with an unsafe person's like. Herod's controlling and unsafe. The Magi, the different guys, they show up in Jerusalem. That's the capital. That's where Herod is. And they're looking for the newborn king of the Jews. You know what Herod's title was? King of the Jews. So can you imagine what this controlling, paranoid guy's thinking when the Magi, show, the different guys show up and say, hey, we're looking for the new king of the Jews. You know where he is? Yeah, Herod doesn't say, oh, well, okay, show me where he is. I'm a humble guy. I want to come and worship. No, no, no. Rather than traveling the five miles at the invitation of the Magi to go and find the newborn king, Herod sends soldiers a little while after this, and he has every boy, child, two years old and under, killed so that there is no new king of the Jews a controlling, paranoid, unsafe kind of guy. But God's incredible, isn't he? Why did the Magi, why did the different guys go to Jerusalem? Well, it is true that they'd probably go to the capital city looking for the new king. But I have the sneaking suspicion they probably went 
to invite this controlling guy to kind of swallow his pride, recognize that God's bigger than he is, humble himself a little bit, and come see the newborn king. But rather than getting in step and going, he says no way and tries to get rid of the newborn king. You know, there's a little bit of Herod in all of us, right? We all want to control things. We want to make it work our way. There's a little bit of differentness in every one of us. We don't fit in every circumstance. And there's a little bit of dissatisfaction in every one of us. Christmas is for that cast of characters. Well, here's another group. Embarrassing people. Any embarrassing people in your family? People you don't want to introduce to your friends, right? People, and so you may have some embarrassing people with you tonight. You hope when you leave that in the atrium you don't meet some of your Calvary friends, right? You don't want your Calvary friends to ever meet this embarrassing family member or this other embarrassing person. Lots of embarrassing people, they were born without the valve or the check valve, you know, between their brain and their tongue. You know people like this? If they're thinking it, they're saying it. And, you know, every time they open their mouth, those that are not embarrassing kind of cringe, wondering what's going to be coming out. You know, they were embarrassing people at that first Christmas. They're called shepherds. And some of you are thinking, shepherds? Yeah, they were really embarrassing guys. You may be thinking, no, I remember, you know, I was in Sunday school. I saw the pageant. The shepherds were the cool guys. You know, if you get to bring sticks to the Christmas party, you're a cool guy. But in Jesus' day, the shepherds were not the cool guys. They were the embarrassing guys. They spent all their time with sheep. What did they smell like? Sheep. It wasn't a check valve from their brain to their tongue they were missing. They were missing the scent of cleanliness. Look, I didn't grow up on a farm, but I learned this much. If you walk behind 100 sheep or so, you step in stuff, right? And what you step in is kind of nasty. The shepherds never got invited to any Christmas parties. The shepherds never got invited to somebody's birthday party. Even if they were going to take off their sandals, nobody would let them into their house. They smelled bad, and they were outcasts. They were embarrassing people. But isn't it just like God? He sends the first announcement outside of that first family. He sends the first announcement to the embarrassing guys. The angels show up, light up the sky, and God says, I have an announcement. The newborn king has just arrived in Bethlehem. I want you guys to go find him. I want you guys to go and recognize him. And then I want you to be the first messengers to take that message and go tell everybody else about it. The embarrassing guys. Dissatisfied people get the Christmas invitation. Different people. Embarrassing people. Controlling people. They all get God's Christmas invitation. It's kind of interesting, right? Oh, but there's one more group of people. Stressed out people. Now look, be honest, we're among friends. How many of you are even a little stressed about this Christmas? Raise your hand. It's fine. Only, only women raise their hand mostly, right? That's because men are saying, is it Christmas? When, when is Christmas? I just have a little bit of shopping to do. I should be done soon. Uh, well, why are you stressed? Well, so much has to be done and there's so little time, right? You've got cooking to do and baking to do and you wonder how people are going to respond to the gifts. But here's the real reason for most of us being stressed out. We have to do Christmas with dissatisfied people. We have to do Christmas with different people. We have to do Christmas with controlling people and embarrassing people and that stresses us out. But maybe it's not just Christmas that's stressing us out. Maybe some of you have recently lost a job, and that's really stressing you out. Maybe some of you haven't calculated yet, but you're beginning to think that you spent a whole lot more than you have on Christmas, and that debt's kind of freaking you out, and you're stressed. 
Or maybe you've got a marriage or a relationship that's hanging by a thread. And you wonder what's going to happen tomorrow or next week. Lots of stresses in life. You can go online and you can Google stress index. And a number of different stress indexes will, in, in, indices will come up. And they all work the same way. They list a whole bunch of situations in life, and each of them have a numerical score. So, for example, pregnancy is like 50. Loss of a job, 65. Pressure in a relationship, right, 22. And then you add it up to get your stress measurement. Well, a group of psychologists uh, worked together with a stress index, and here's what they discovered. If your stress score is 300 or more, you are 80% more likely to have a physical breakdown or blowout in the near future. A couple of psychologists took Mary and Joseph, that first couple, through the stress inventory, and the lowest score they got was 450. Think about the stresses. They live in a really traditional religious culture where morality is really important. They're engaged, they're not married, and Mary's pregnant. That's even stressful in our world. Can you imagine what it would have been like then? And then she's got to tell Joseph. How would you like to have that conversation? I mean, she would really like to marry this guy. He's never going to marry her now. Joseph, I have good news for you. I'm pregnant. Really? I thought you were a good girl. Like, what's going on? And then she tells him, but Joseph, it's God's child. We know that Joseph didn't believe her because he sets out to divorce her. If he believed her, he wouldn't have divorced her. Then an angel shows up and says, no, 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 Joseph, take Mary as your wife. It's true. Now he's got to go back and tell Mary that he didn't believe her. He believes the stranger when he told her. Yeah. Uh, try having that conversation with your wife, right? I believed the stranger. I didn't believe you, hon. Sorry about that. Then you've got to travel from Nazareth about 90 miles to Bethlehem. And there were no cars. You know, they didn't take a short flight. They had to travel probably not on a donkey, but they had to get there. And Mary's really, really pregnant. Let me ask you guys, do you think there was even a little bit of complaining along the way? Joseph, what are you thinking? Do you think? I'm guessing there was probably a little bit, maybe 90 miles worth. That's what I'm guessing. And then when they get there, there's no reasonable place for them to say, stay. So Mary probably says something like this. Joseph, really? Look, I know you're not into planning, but this is ridiculous. No Airbnb, no Motel 6. I'm not asking for a Marriott or the Ritz. At least I like a room, maybe some running water, not a stable laying my baby in a feeding trough. I'd rather not have that, Joseph. Stress. And they're the first couple of Christmas. Boy, that's an unlikely cast of characters, isn't it? We've got dissatisfied people, and we've got different people. We've got embarrassing people, controlling people, and stressed out people. Here's my guess. You fit into at least one of those groups. And everybody around your Christmas table or around your Christmas tree will fit into one of those groups too. And the message of Christmas is you're invited to the Christmas celebration. Well, that's kind of the who. We didn't look at all the characters, but that, that's a big enough sample. But what about why? If we know a little bit of the who, what about the why? Now, here, here's a really interesting thing. At least I find it interesting. Most of what we know about the who and the what of Christmas, we learn from Matthew and Luke. In fact, all the verses that we looked at thus far are from Matthew or Luke. Matthew and Luke tell us all about the who and all about the what. But they don't tell us too much about the why. There are a couple of hints, but they're only hints. Let me show you a couple of the hints. 
So in Matthew's gospel, when the angel shows up and talks to Joseph, the last sentence, uh, he says something like this. Joseph, you're going to take Mary to be your wife because the child is born of the Holy Spirit. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. That's kind of a hint. I mean, it's not full-blown. It's kind of a hint. Jesus. Now, here's a little bit of a language study for you. The angel did not say Jesus to Joseph. Jesus is Latin. The angel didn't say Joshua, even though that's Hebrew, because there's no J sound in Hebrew. The angel would have said, give him the name Yeshua. And every Jew would have known Yeshua, that's the guy's name that leads Israel into the promised land. Remember, Moses leads them out of Egypt. They wander in the desert a little bit. Then Joshua, that's English, Englishified, um, Yeshua leads them into the promised land. Joseph knew exactly what was going on. You're going to give birth to God's child, and he's going to be the new Joshua that leads his people into the promised land. See, Joseph knew that. But then you got this whole, he's going to save his people from their sins. Joseph would have probably said, well, we don't, we don't need that. We got the whole system down there in the temple. You know, you kind of you mess up a little bit, take an animal, go down, you kill it, you go home forgiven. We don't need saving of sins. We need saving from Rome. That's what we need. Not saving from sin. But somehow this Joshua, he's going to do it. Just a hint. It's not full-blown. And then in Luke's gospel, we get another hint. When the angel shows, the angel's dropping hints all the time, right? The angel says, I have an announcement to make. If you ever want to get people's attention, I have an announcement to make. And then the angel says, don't be, a, don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. Look at those hints. Savior, Messiah, Lord. But it's not really kind of unpacked. John emphasizes the why. But that's really weird. Here's why it's weird. John, the disciple who also wrote the Gospel of John, spent more time with Mary than any of the other disciples. Now, how do we know that? Because as Jesus is being executed, he looks down and sees Mary, his mother, and he sees John, his disciple, and Jesus says, hey, Mary, I want you to take John as your son, and John, I want you to take care of my mother. And history tells us that that's exactly what John did. History tells us for the next couple of decades, John took care of Mary, Jesus' mother. So let me ask you, do you think over those 20-some years, John would ever have said, so Mary, look, I don't want to pry or anything, but can you tell me what happened like on that first Christmas? And don't you think Mary would have talked about the who and would have talked about the what? And John, the disciple who heard that over and over and over and over again. Some of you are going to spend time with people this Christmas, tonight or tomorrow, and it usually happens if they're on the older end of the continuum. They tell you the story that they've told you before. I'm not sure if they forgot that they told you. And some of you have heard those same story 15 times, 20 times, right, 30 times. And you're going to hear it again tonight. Just look interested when they're telling you the story. My, I suspect that John heard about that Christmas story dozens and dozens of times for Mary. John knew every detail about the who. He knew everything about the what. But when he writes his gospel, he doesn't tell us any of that. No who's and no what's. John tells us why. When he gets to the third chapter of his gospel, he writes this. You want to know why we have Christmas? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That whoever believes in him will never perish, 
but have eternal life. John knew about the who's, and John knew about the what's, but John said, it's the why that really matters. In fact, I would go so far as to say, Christmas wonder is not about what's happening, going to happen tonight or going to happen tomorrow for you. That's not where Christmas wonder comes from. Christmas wonder is about what happened and why it happened. Why did it happen? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will never perish but have eternal life. Now, many of you know that verse. You've heard it before. Some of you have memorized it. You know what, if you've memorized it or thought about it, John 3.17 isn't a bad verse either. Here's what John 3.17 says. It just continues the thought. For God did not send his son into the world, right? That's continuing the thought. He didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Now the hints are tied together with the why. God loved and God gave. You've got people that love you and they're going to give you gifts tonight or tomorrow. And you love people and you're going to give them gifts tonight and tomorrow. And we've got a God who loves us and gave us the gift that we need more than any other gift. Even though it may not be on the top want list that you have, this is the gift you and I need more than any other. And it's the gift that God gave. What do you do to get that gift? God loved and God gave. We believe and we receive that's going to happen when you give gifts, right? You believe that the person giving you a gift, they're not giving you a bomb, right? If you thought that, you wouldn't take it. You believe that they have you in mind and you receive. That's what you got to do. God loved and God gave. We believe and we receive. That's how you transact and make the gift thing real. That, friends, is the wonder of Christmas. Well, now we're ready for the finale. So take out your phone, turn it on, and open the app. We've been having a competition to see what service will have the highest percentage of app users. So far, we're running about 70% as the winner. You guys can break the record. It's going to take well over 1,000 of you to break it. All right, over your Heritage Hall, turn your phones on. You know, over in the video overflow, turn your, turn the, open the app up. You don't have to do anything else. Just open the app. The rest will happen automatically. If you would, please stand. Make sure your app's open and hold your phone up high so everybody can see it. Wipe the frown or scowl off your face. Think about the why of Christmas. And let's answer this question. What do you give someone who has everything? And by the way, Jesus would have everything. What do you give them? You give them thanks. You give them service. And you give them worship. So for the next seven minutes, we together will give our Christmas gift to Jesus. Thanksgiving, service, and worship. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks for Christmas. We give you thanks for the who's and the what's. But most importantly, we give you thanks for the why. And we pray, Lord, that that why wouldn't just be something in our heads, but it would be something that changes our hearts. And may the beginning of our response to Christmas be these next seven minutes. Thanksgiving, service, worship. And may those three gifts continue as we leave tonight and celebrate with family and for the rest of our lives. We pray in Christ's name, your gift to us. Merry Christmas, everybody.